Hi, I'm Ian, co-founder of Dig Insights and president of Dig's innovation insights platform, Upside. Welcome to Dig In. Dig In is the place to stay up to date on what's happening in the world of innovation, research, and technology, to find inspiration from today's business and innovation leaders, and to properly dig into hot topics that matter for consumer brands right now. And when applicable, we'll bring our own research to that conversation. Welcome to the Dig In podcast. Today I'm talking to John Williamson and Nick Kennedy of Civil Pours, um, a really exciting you know, startup. These two are both experienced entrepreneurs and they're starting a new RTD uh, cocktail business. And I'm really excited to talk to you guys. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Great, to be, great to be with you, Ian. Um, before we get into what Civil Pours is and where you are along the entrepreneurial uh, experience. Can you sort of give me a little bit of background about yourselves? Uh, John, we can start with you, just kind of, you know, what you've been doing for the last while and uh, and how you ended up in, uh, involved with Nick. Okay. Um, I own a, right now I own a business that provides uh, simulation-based training uh, to experienced drivers, and that business has been up and running since 2005. But prior to that, uh, I had a much more traditional kind of background than starting my own business. I was uh, a general manager at Procter & Gamble. I had some uh, great experiences at P&G. Uh, one of the, the highlights for me was uh, being able to go over to Eastern Europe uh, in the early 90s when the, the wall came down. And uh, we were able to uh, be part of a very small startup team where we were literally launching a, a brand a month uh, in Eastern Europe uh, for Procter & Gamble. So a lot of experience therefore with um, putting new brands into the marketplace, uh, doing it in a very disciplined and structured way. Um, and being very successful. And so uh, the brands were successful. Um, they're still in the market, I'm proud to say today. Uh, after that experience at uh, PNG, I went off to Deloitte where I was a partner. And then uh, at a certain point in time, decided I'd, I'd like to kind of go off on my own and, and start different businesses with, with individuals and uh, Drive for Life, which is the simulation business is uh, kind of the one of the, I guess the third business that I had started and now looking forward to moving on to the, the next adventure. Excellent. So a very experienced entrepreneur. And Nick, you are as well. In fact, if people haven't heard of Civil Liberties Bar, they've been living under a rock for the last little while. Can you give a little bit about your background history of uh, Civil Liberties Bar and, and what you're doing, what else you're doing right now? Absolutely. Uh, so Civil Liberties opened in 2014. So it'll be eight years old this year. Um, we opened it, uh, most of us coming off of university degrees. I was studying cognitive neuroscience at U of T and realized that I really had to fulfill my love of bartending before I did anything else. Um, so over the last eight years, it's really grown into a community hub um, where we do a lot of brand launches and spirits education. Uh, that, in that, I began to develop a real interest in uh, distillation and how we produce things. Uh, and in 2018, uh, I went to uh, Copenhagen to work with an offshoot of the team from Noma, the famous restaurant group, uh, in distilling under vacuum. And then when I returned, um, I began sort of imagining how we could remake cocktails, uh, both from a production and a consumer standpoint. And, uh, you know, the world put John and me in the same path. And it's sort of between myself, John, and uh, our partner, Mary Beth, has been a really beautiful relationship since then. And so how did it all come together? How did the three of you meet and decide uh, that you were going to start you know, a new RTD alcohol business. What were, how did the stars align there? I think John tells this story well, because it was probably better from his perspective. Um, so I, you know, I, 
my son is a cocktail fanatic and uh, he has uh, started to expose us more and more to the cocktail world. Uh, one of the, uh, the more expensive vacations we ever did was uh, go to London, England and uh, experience various cocktail bars. And I, I think I could have done three more full vacations after experiencing the, the London cocktail scene. Uh, but he was very excited about a bar in Toronto where he'd actually met his significant other, Alex. And Chris said, we really just have to go there and see this, this place. And um, so we went there and I was, I was kind of a little taken aback. I wasn't, you know, I'm not a, I wouldn't say a connoisseur of cocktails at that point in time, but I went in and there were no menus and the staff was really engaging and they were asking, you know, what kind of drinks I like beyond cocktails to get a sense of who I was as an individual. And that whole experience uh, kind of set me back and say, hey, this is great to be able to go out and get everybody was engaging. Everybody was uh, curious about my interests and how they fed back into, you know, a cocktail that would be good for me. And that kind of evolved as, um, you know, uh, Chris, in his infinite wisdom, decided that he, he should uh, set up a get to meet Alex's parents um, session at Nick's bar. It seemed like the, the logical place to do. And we were all, the bar was closed one afternoon and we all were, the objective was to learn how to better make cocktails. Um, needless to say, after you've tried several martinis and you're meeting uh, Chris's girlfriend's parents for the first time, it's uh, it's an interesting environment to say the least. I think uh, Mary Beth puts it best, I slept on the way home in the, in the Uber. Uh, but um, that kind of kept evolving to conversations. Nick has this passion of exploring the world and experiencing stuff. And he told us he was going to head off to Copenhagen uh, to learn how to make, uh, you know, uh, production quality cocktails, scaled up cocktails. And I was just fascinated by his curiosity, the process that he was uh, exploring, um, offered at that point in time that if he wanted, you know, some help on looking at ideas and things that he was doing. Uh, and he said, great. And uh, what that led to was us gradually working more and more together on the project, seeing more opportunities behind it. Uh, it was a good complement of skills between myself, Mary Beth and Nick. And um, that passion of let's bring something new and great to the marketplace has kind of evolved into a, a great partnership. Great. I mean, uh, you know, you've got a really exciting distillation process. The technology is really fascinating. The product's really good. I've actually tried it. Uh, it was delicious. Um, I've tried more than one of them, actually. Um, but back <laughs> to just the business side of it, was there anything from your previous lives that made you say, this is what we're going to do differently this time? Like this time around when I, when I you know, this time when I take that chance, I'm going to do something differently. Was there any learnings from your previous entrepreneurial excursions that made you think either you've really got something here and you're just going to go full bore or this is a big opportunity, but I'm going to do something a little bit differently? I know it's a tough question, but. Um, I mean, I, what I would say, and it was in part John and Mary Beth's experience and advice, but uh, Hospitality people usually lead with the action and build the brand later. Civil Liberties being a perfect example of that. We have no menu. We have no signage. So when we said, let's do brand strategy first, I was like, that actually, particularly when it comes to a consumer, there's no physical space. That was, we worked with a great, you know, brand strategy team and built out that side of the work first. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense because restaurateurs never do that. It's always the opposite. You, you sign the lease you buy the fridge and then you say, what are we going to do with this place? And you decide what kind of restaurant it is. So I think that was a big change and has really brought a lot of structure. I think that's sort of where our relationship as entrepreneurs really works well is that structure is really valuable. So, 
And I, I guess I, the point I would add is um, the business skills I you know, feel very confident in. Uh, the part that I've learned over time is the importance of listening. And, you know, as uh, you know, entrepreneurs by definition are fairly headstrong. Um, they're, they're driven. Um, uh, I can be opinionated <laughs> uh, and uh, want to push a point of view. Uh, but I, I think what's really worked out nicely in this relationship is there's a mutual respect and a, um, a desire to listen to each other and um, build on everybody's ideas. And, and that is, uh, uh, you know, when we started this project of working together, it, it was a very informal relationship. It was, uh, let's figure out if we, if we enjoy working together, uh, let's understand the skills each of us bring, and then let's figure out what that business relationship is. And I think Establishing that foundation rather than setting it up and um, traditionally where I've started in, in new business relationships is, you know, what's in it for you? What's in it for me? You know, you kind of divvy up the stuff and you get into, you know, where are you going to bring to the party? Uh, we didn't go through that process and uh, there was a more natural evolution um, that allowed us to kind of understand what this uh, working relationship, what the team was going to be like. And I think that the one thing I've learned in business is that the team's ability to respond to changes that are going to happen into the marketplace is, is absolutely essential. And one of the strengths I think that we're bringing to this proposition is, is the management group. Uh, Mary Beth also has, uh, she was part of that prog set up in, with Procter & Gamble, uh, but she's done a lot of consulting work in a variety of different spaces. And she has that ability to you know, digest and understand and there's that mutual respect from all three of us. And so it's a very strong leadership team that can adapt to, you know, what's going to face us. Because the, the one thing we know as entrepreneurs is that whatever our business plan is today, it will not be the same business plan in 12 months. And one other thing, when we bring up Mary Beth's name, um, honestly, getting started with Dig was a really, that was something she was doing daily. She's so data-driven uh, and she wants that analytic edge and starting off and saying, Let's do quantitative research around our market, what works. Um, that was really different. Um, again, and, uh, from the bartender's perspective, we don't normally do that. We don't have a menu. I just ask, I talked to a single person, not you know 340 to get information on 40,000. Uh, and that's brought a lot of, again, confidence, structure, and direction, which has been really great. Yeah, I did notice that you guys have great chemistry. Uh, all three of you, uh, you know, when you, you work and talk together about the business. Uh, you obviously have different strengths. I think that's really important. I can definitely attest to, I've been with my uh, business partners now for 11 years and that's that's a rare thing. So when you recognize that there's good chemistry in a team, it's a really important thing, particularly at the beginning when there's so many challenges and so many unknowns. And speaking of chemistry, I think the most exciting part for me about, about when I met with you guys recently at Civil Liberties Bar, was getting to see that that still, and kind of having Nick explain the sort of mad scientist uh, <laughs> approach to to the distillation process and, and stills that you're being that are being built and stuff. So, can you give a little bit of overview on that, Nick? Because I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll I'll do it in a way as God has given me good advice as a business partner that doesn't uh, doesn't uh, infringe on any IP work we may be doing. Um, so the basic ex explanation I can give you is that when you boil water at sea level, it takes 100 degrees Celsius. Sorry for any American listeners, Celsius will be the conversation here. Um, and as you go to, say, Denver, it takes 87. And then if you go to the Himalayas, it's 82. And that's because there's less atmosphere above what you're boiling. So it'll turn into a gas at a lower temperature. We do this in a system by changing the barometric pressure. What that does is it allows us to make a vapor 
without heating up the liquid. And the value of that is sort of like a scalpel. We can cut individual flavors. Uh, I talk about jalapeno a lot for this idea. So if I cut you fresh jalapeno and put it in a taco or a salad, we all know that bright green delicious note. If I stew it in a chili, still delicious, but that's synonymous with chili. When you have chili, you don't say jalapeno soup. You say, this is chili. We've changed the jalapeno. If you distill um, um, jalapeno tequila, let's say, in a traditional still at 73 degrees, you get a chili note. It's delicious. I'm not bashing chili style tequila. But if you were to bring that barometric pressure down to say 30 degrees Celsius, all of a sudden you get this really bright green. It's that singular scalpel slice. Uh, and we leveraged this technology um, and sort of perfected a lot of its component parts uh, to be part of cocktails. Um, and when we blend up a traditional cocktail using this distillate, we're able to really leverage those big flavors that you might see at a bar, but in a way that is shelf stable and infinitely unique and also allows us access to products that traditionally no one has looked at because there's a reason that when distillers are done with their grain, no one but cows eats it. Uh, so at, you know, again, when you get down to 30 degrees, it, some delicious stuff can come out of both sides of the still. Really interesting stuff. Yeah, I think the, the thing I found, the word that you used there that really resonated with me was when you said bright, because that was the first word that came out of my mouth when I tried your cocktails, mm -hmm. that where you'd use this process, it had a bright, a brightness to it. It didn't taste, you know, syrupy sweet and kind of dull, which a lot of pre-made cocktails or even quite frankly, cocktails that we have at bars can sometimes taste. Uh, like, I, I really, I, you know, there was a brightness, like a real, a, a burst to the flavor, yeah. Totally, because you're really doing this fractal distillation where you're able to take a singular ingredient and really pull it apart. Like we have a, a kelp drink uh, that one of our, 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 our skews, as we know from our work with you, that's really people love is uh, currently named Backcountry. That may change, but uh, it's got this kelp distillate in it. And uh, last night I was doing our distilling run for some investors. Um, and one of the things I really started to think about that's really unique about it is that like the kelp has got this nuance and this depth, but when you taste it pre, it's salty. And I think part of what causes people's brains to go, this is bright and new, is that the only time you've ever seen these sort of flavors is with salt because they come from the sea. And that ability to have that moment of sort of phenomenological pause is another thing that really helps bring that brightness and freshness to the final cocktail. So it's, it is really exciting technology. And then let's talk about underlying consumer trends. So John, with your background in CPG work for companies like uh, Procter & Gamble, and obviously, consulting work with companies like Deloitte. What are some of the underlying consumer trends that you see that are supporting the business case that you're bringing to market here? Um, the drink market, the alcoholic beverage market is being driven largely right now, some of the growth trends by the millennials. And so that age group is very important to us, uh, the 26 year old to the 40 year old. And what we're able to do is, is understand um, their preferences and, and what they're looking for in a in a drink experience. And one of the great things is we've seen the, the craft breweries, we've seen um, the introduction of what I would call uh, seltzers. Um, and many of these are called cocktail seltzers. And so we're, we're talking about those cans where you'll find a, a knockoff of a margarita, but at 5% alcohol by volume and kind of frizzy, um, kind of a flat tasting beverage at the end of the day, but there's tremendous desire to, to kind of get into that space and experiment with new things. And so we knew from the data that 
Um, cocktails are growing as a percentage of the uh, uh, drink consumption. And so we know that, you know, in, in the U.S. right now, it's, uh, it's over 20% um, of the, the drink. It's becoming one of the largest segments within the category. Uh, but no one's been able to break through and, and meet what the ultimate is, which is what's happening at, at the bar level. And so what we've been able to do to the, to the research is really start segmenting and understanding the concept, uh, what we're providing as a, as a benefit to the consumer. Their response to that, which is, as you know, has been overwhelming. Um, you know, when we look at the, the general population to top two box score definitely would purchase and probably would purchase. Uh, we're at about 70%, which you've indicated is a, a pretty stellar number. When we break that down to millennials, um, it, it raises, rises to around 80%. And really what, what's striking to me is, um, and this is a great thing about the research tool that you guys have provided us, is that instantly I can then break it down, males, females, number of drinks that you consume. Um, two other great findings out of the research for us uh, from a marketing standpoint have been that this really resonates with female millennials. The definitely with purchase is 52.5%, I think, amongst female millennials, uh, which is, I think you would admit is a pretty impressive, definitely, you know, that's a top box, never mind a top two box. And the other part that, that I found interesting, which is also comforting, is we're able to segment by how many cocktails you would average drink per week. And so uh, obviously heavy users are, are important in any user group that you're trying to penetrate. And so as we go from, you know, not drinking hardly anything in the last month to somebody who's drinking four or five plus per, per week, um, you're looking at, again, we're able to see that um, the concept is even stronger with the current, you know, heavy consumers of this type of product. And so that's all really helpful in building our, our volume models and understanding um, who are we targeting. We can also see that, you know, we had an assumption that the 19 to, to 24s would not be a great group for us to go at. They're kind of new into that whole market and the research proves that out. Uh, what was encouraging as well is we didn't see as much of a drop off as we went older than 40. Um, so that's good. So it's got some appeal beyond the millennial group. And so that's all great. And then the final part of the whole thing is, is evaluating which versions, which cocktails to take to the marketplace. Uh, one of the great pieces of uh, data that we were able to pull out is um, we, we identified three winners. Uh, but there's a part in the research that shows the relationships between the versions, and we're able to understand if there's, um, you know, if we're sacrificing one version for the other, if we introduce it, i.e. I, somebody would cannibalize, you know, if I have all these three, there's, they're going to go to one version versus the other. They kind of live in their own little separate universes, and we're able to see that, and so we're able to have a very good reason when we go to get distribution on why three versions are important versus just having one version. Um, so we, we have all that data. Uh, now, which which allows us to have a much better business plan. Very cool. I think, you know, Nick hit it on the head when he said it was great how you've thought through brand strategy at the beginning of this, at the very beginning of this process and building a business case. And obviously a challenge for any new entrant into this market is going to be, you know, breakthrough on shelf, uh, particularly when you're dealing with, you know, large existing distributors and, and distillers. Um, but, you know, you need to be able to break through and shelf. You need to be able to get distribution. Uh, and you need to be able to stand apart. So what, what are some of the strategies, you know, not without giving away anything that you, you know, you, you, you want to keep secret, but what, what are some of the strategies that you have about approaching a, a how you're going to stand out on shelf? And I think your packaging is, pretty exciting and you might want to talk a little bit about that 
there sure. Nick or John. Yeah, so, I mean, sorry, and I, I have to say, we go back to uh, some of the early work that we did. We, we uh, as Nick indicated, started very early in the branding work, uh, which is really important. And we work with an organization called Department, uh, and I highly recommend this this group. They're a phenomenal team to work with, very strategic, and um, you know, we we did the process from strategy right through to execution. And as you looked at what we wanted, you know, Nick highlighted, you know, there is equity in the, the civil uh, liberties bar experience. And we wanted to take that experience and communi clear, communicate clearly on the packaging, as well as in the, the experience that the consumer was going to have as they consume the product. And so that led to our, our goals of, you know, looking and sourcing distinct packaging um, that also was very functional and uh, also very sustainable because that's part of the, the environment that part of the brand of civil is sustainability um, in the world that we're living in today. And so uh, the glass bottle comes with a, a bartender's jigger on the top, which allows you to be the bartender when you're doing the pour experience from a 500 mil bottle. And the single serve package that we've identified is uh, something that's unique and developed in another market. But what I'll say about it, rather than giving too much away, is that it allows a unique single serve cocktail experience um, that currently isn't provided in uh, cans. It'll be a, a glass container. Uh, it will not be um, anything that you have seen on the marketplace yet. And it will allow you to really uh, appreciate and enjoy that. You know, I, I think when I go to civil, I, I'm always kind of amused at the amount of glassware that's at the bar every time I get a cocktail, although I may order a Manhattan every time it comes in a slightly different glass. And I find that that that's part of the experience of, of the cocktail. And what we're going to be able to do is kind of expand that and bring that to you a little bit in, in the world that we've got out there as well. And so that's that, how we take the, the concept of Civil Liberties Bar, put it in a brand, show it in the, the product and the packaging, and make sure that it's clearly communicated as we go forward. Yeah, and I, I think John's hit most of that perfectly on the head. I would say part of it is you distinguish yourself from the canned cocktails and the seltzers by not being a canned cocktail. Um, and we know there's, we've proven with the research, there's a real demand for that. And the beauty of a lot of the people we're going to see is they use the same platform. So when we bring forward our research, it, it has a lot of validity. We can make a really strong case for why we should be on those shelves and the volume will move. Um, so that brings us a lot of comfort. Um, uh, and then, yeah, in terms of how you stand out, um, the technology inherently allows us to put up a product that is of a superior quality. It's, there, it's a gap we've all, as restaurateurs, been chasing. Um, and just that ability to say these are like the tastings will do the push. Um, so it, it is really exciting to be able to be this close. Yeah, and I'd, I'd add one last point to build on what Nick was saying, which is the other part that is difficult for the consumer looking for cocktails right now is it is. It is within the LC, if you're a consumer in Ontario and you're getting it at the Liquor Control Board of Ontario uh, in the, the retail outlets, uh, as you go searching for cocktail experiences, you're going to find that all over the store. Um, so you're going to find it either shelved in the whiskey, you might find it shelved in the gin or the tequila section. And so some of the critical mass that could be there for a cocktail experience has not happened. And so one of the other things that we're hoping to do is the the credibility of the research will hopefully allow us to go out uh, and provide category leadership, go out and talk to the LCBO about this category as a whole. Uh, it would be our preference not to have, you know, things shelved independently in different sections, but now create a cocktail section, show them the desire behind that, 
lead that process. And obviously through leading that process, you know, get a, a, an overall growth of the category. Uh, one of the things Nick has been outstanding at through COVID um, is sharing and working with other bars and establishments to uh, keep everybody alive through this crisis that we've just gone through. And that uh, goodwill of thinking about it as a community rather than, uh, you know, you always have to win or beat the other guy up. Um, there's a sense of there's a variety of experiences that are going to be relevant for consumers. We think we've got a, a, a top notch experience that's going to be very competitive. Um, but we'd like that comparison to be happening because we'll think we'll, we'll stand out even better at the end of the day. I think that was something that was really exciting about your overall strategy um, was that you're you're kind of you're trying to you're almost trying to invent the category as well, not just the products to enter it, at an existing category that's maybe you know particularly in, in alcohol it can frequently become very fragmented very quickly and there can be a, a ton of product in there. As we know, for instance, with the uh, you know the zero calorie, um, the zero calorie vodka and soda category, which has just exploded over say the last year, and now there's so many brands it's hard to keep track of. But you guys are actually targeting what's still a relatively nascent category, which is this this what's the, what's the terminology you I remember you tested it with us. What was the terminology you're kind of uh, basically it's Cocktails for the curious. Right, cocktails for the curious. Which so is we, you know, we, we're, we're trying to help people understand that, that there's, there's an experience related to cocktails and that adventure of exploring and finding new things. And uh, that's what we want to bring to the category. And as you, you pointed out, that the seltzer category is, is very much a mixed bag today with a lot of people trying to enter into it, established brands, new brands, et cetera. There is a differentiation between that, a beverage that is a pure cocktail that's at that 26 to 33% alcohol by volume versus that 5% kind of spritzer, seltzer. Um, and, you know, to be very clear, that's not the part of the category we were competing in. We're competing in that, that pure cocktail experience at the end of the day. And because we're competing in that and building out that pure cocktail experience, um, it really does allow for that category leadership because we don't have and won't have a craft gin on the market because there's 1 million craft gins. So distillers do see us as like our, our peers in the industry will see us as a leader for a category that benefits everyone, which means beyond John's experience at having previously done this and a bureaucratic need for it, we have the community. So there really is this opportunity to say like, let us roll the ball forward. So, so the entrepreneurial process, you, you know, you've, you've, you've got the brand strategy uh, down, you've got a packaging, um, you've got a packaging plan, you've got, you've actually have designs for packaging, um, you, the, 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 the actual liquids, the beverages themselves have been created in, and, and, um, and you, you have the proven process that's actually, you know, yours really no one else is using right now what's next in 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 your business plan so where where do you where do you guys sit now and what's sort of the next what are the next say six to 12 months look like for for you guys there, there are two crucial things that we're working on right now uh, one is um, given that we're, we're ahead on the the product design the packaging and we know what it is we've done some exciting research we actually have more research to do as you know Ian with you too um, even provide more information on the category as we go forward. Uh, but that's going to be part of our distribution push, uh, getting listings, getting into the marketplace. 
Um, the other exciting, and again, I'm not going to get into competitive details, but um, the distribution channels far exceed retail. Um, and, and we've uh, been able to um, really create some exciting new ways to get to the product into consumers' hands. Uh, we've already talked to the people who would facilitate that distribution, and there's a lot of excitement because they don't have anything in their current portfolios that would allow them to provide this to their customer base. Uh, but we're we're out there and we we're active in conversations and being able to provide that. So that distribution is obviously very important um, because that's what drives the revenue at the end of the day. The second thing that we were doing is that we're building a distillery. Um, so that is capital intensive. Um, it's not as it's actually, you know, when I look at all the things I've built in my life from a capital standpoint, it is not an overwhelming number, uh, but we're in a capital raise situation right now. Um, and again, one of the, uh, the great parts of going through that process uh, with various investors is that the, the research that we've done with you has helped uh, provide quantitative data around what we actually have. And so, um, you know, you can say you got a great idea and, you know, make people feel good. They could try the cocktail. Um, but there's nothing like at the, you know, one of the closes that we've been using has been to really pull up your research, uh, share it with them right off the, the Upside website. And, and when they ask a question, well, how did it do with this? You can actually answer that question right there by really, um, you know, changing what they're looking at on the screen. And so uh, that's been, you know, what we've been using hopefully to help close on that. Um, but that said, I'm, I'm pretty excited because, um, you know, it's always an interesting um exercise to go out and get dollars, um, valuations and what you're asking for. Uh, but I would say that uh, the good news is through this process, uh, we've created a, a fair degree of excitement uh, amongst people that we've talked with. And uh, that's one of our key priorities in the next uh, four to six weeks. And then on the other side of it, um, you know, a lot of the times when you run a startup distillery or production site, it's capitalized and then do the engineering. Um, because there are associated costs, um, but we are through our engineering phase, which is really exciting. So we're in quote review, which is why we know we're in the right range for, uh, for our capitalization campaign. Um, so while we're doing that in the background, I will be um, selecting our final manufacturers, supplier, um, you know, our location, we are currently in, in, in the always elongated lease negotiation phase, but uh, it's really great to have sort of all the individual plates spinning nicely, ready to go. Fantastic. So um, I think it's you're at a really exciting stage, like you said. Right now, you're doing uh, you're doing a capital raise for a fairly meaningful um, build. You're you know you're building a distillery. Uh, this is not not a not a small uh, small feat. Um, it, you know, I think what I'd love what we'd love to do is check in with you guys along the the way and kind of follow you through the, the whole story right to the point where we all finally get to buy it at, uh, at retail. Um, right now, what's your, what's your, I mean, you know, as all entrepreneurs know, timelines change, but what's your, you know, what's the, what's the goal? What's the goal when I'll be able to walk into a store and pick up a bottle of civil pours and bring it home? Early 2022. Early 2022. Yeah. Quarter one is currently the focus. And if and if anybody's interested in talking to you about um, you know partnerships or potentially investors, maybe you guys are still open to, to speaking to some new investors. I'm not sure. But um, if anybody's interested in any of those things, what's the best way that they should uh, reach out to you? 
Uh, email's great for either one of us. We, um, so it's either John, uh, J-O-H-N, or Nick, N-I-C-K, at civillibertiesbar.com. And so that's fairly straightforward on how to spell that. And so uh, email either one of us, and we'd be happy to get back to anybody who has an interest in what we're doing. Uh, we will respond back. Fantastic. And we'll put that in the description as well. Thanks so much for talking to me about this, guys. It's always exciting to speak to people who are starting up new things. And I really think that you have something really exciting going on. And I know it's going to be a success based on the research that we've actually done for you. So I can't wait to see the next stage. And uh, I can't wait for people to try the products. And in the meantime, everyone should go to Civil Liberties Bar. It's a really great experience. Uh, and thanks so much for hosting me there uh, a little while ago, Nick. I really had a great time. Thank you. Yeah, well, we'll be speaking again soon because we have another round of research to do um, if the value is there. And uh, yeah, anytime you guys want to come to the bar, we're open every day, every day of the week. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. We'll check in again soon. Awesome. Bye. Thanks, Ian. It was speaking with you. Take care. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Dig In. If you want more information about Dig Insights or Upside, please check us out on LinkedIn or at our websites at diginsights.com or upside.com. If you have any ideas for future episodes or would like to be a guest, please feel free to direct message me through the LinkedIn app.